Hello, I'm Alois Hüttermann, partner with Michalski Hüttermann in Düsseldorf and you are listening to IP Fridays. Hello and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 71 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Alois Hüttermann from Michalski and Hüttermann, and he just uh, has written a book about the UPC procedure, uh, the procedure at the Unified Patent Court, and we will interview him about the tips and tricks at the UPC and what we need to know about the UPC. But before we jump into the interview, I want to let you know that the UPC, the Unified Patent Court, just recently um, issued a press release on the 16th of January 2017 that the preparatory committee of the UPC is now working under the assumption that the provisional application phase, the PAP, will start end of spring 2017, probably in May, so that the um, UPC um, will enter the Unified Patent Court Agreement, the UPCA, will enter into force um, in December 2017. This is assuming that the UK and Germany are ratifying soon. So the sunrise period for the possibility to opt out European patents is now planned for early September 2017 which will provide a minimum of three months for patent holders to uh, opt out their patents if they wanted to. If you want to read the full press release, you can go to www.unified-patent-court.org. Okay, let's jump into the interview with Alois Hüttermann. I'm very excited to be joined by Alois Hüttermann today. If you don't know who Alois Hüttermann is, he is a fellow patent attorney in Germany and a really nice one, I must say. And uh, he's also partner with Michalski Hüttermann, a patent law firm in Düsseldorf, a little bit larger than my own firm. <laughs> and uh, one thing that you should know about him is that he has ju just recently written a book about the unitary patent and the unified patent court. Uh, welcome to the show, Alois. Thank you. So um, our listeners may not be completely familiar with the Unified Patent Court and the new unitary patent system. Can you briefly summarize the most important aspects of the system? Yes, thank you. I will try to do so, although uh, you could easily fill an hour or two only explaining the brief outlines of the coming unitary patent system or unitary package, unitary patent package, as is usually called. So let's start with the easier one, the unitary patent. The unitary patent is an alternative to the current validation system following the grant of a European patent by the EPO. So today, if you have a European patent granted by the EPO, you need to validate the countries where you really want to have protection. And today, you have to validate country by country. So in the future, it will additionally be possible to obtain protection for numerous European countries as a single patent, the unitary patent. It's important, and I um, should stress, that you may, of course, still validate as before. And actually, you must do so for those countries which are not 
part of the unitary patent package, but also accessible by a European patent, for instance, Switzerland or Spain or Turkey. So the only thing that's not possible is like a double protection. So you cannot have a unitary patent and the national validation in one country. So for instance, you cannot have a unitary patent in Germany or the UK and also a national validation in Germany or the UK. So the, the second thing is the Unified Patent Court. And most people just call it UPC. So I will also do that from now on. And the UPC is a coming new court, which will be responsible for all European patents regardless whether they are unitary patents or not, and also regardless whether these European patents have been granted in the past or will be when the UPC comes into existence. So this is, of course, very important because also your existing European patents will be affected. For this reason, uh, there will be an, a possibility to register an opt-out, which you can do once the so-called protocol comes into force. I come to that later. And... If you register, register, I'm sorry, if you register this opt-out, this means that you file a declaration with the Unified Patent Court that for a specific patent, you still want the national courts to have jurisdiction. So this Unified Patent Court is uh, then uh, dealing with all infringement cases and nullity actions of the unitary patent, right? Yes, and also of U European patents. So if you right now have a European patent that was recently granted by the EPO, or maybe five years ago or 10 years ago, then the UPC will be um, the venue where you have to go, unless you opt out. If you opt out, then you can still go to, I don't know, Düsseldorf Landgericht or wherever you want to sue somebody. Right. Um, I mean, just to give our listeners a brief um, uh, statistics about uh, patent uh, infringement cases in Europe, um, about two thirds of all patent infringement cases are currently dealt with in Germany. So <laughs> yes, I should just, stress uh, that there's a very good article by Rolf Klassen together <laughs> with Judge Kühn in Gruhr um, from 2013, which I highly recommend reading. And there's also an English version, I think, in The Patent Lawyer. Or... Right, right, yeah. right. So yeah. if you have not read this article by now, you should do so. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, as we know, the UK is now leaving the EU. Uh, EU. So uh, surprisingly, the UK recently announced that they will uh, ratify the U UPC agreement. Um, what does that mean for patent applicants? And can when can they expect the first unitary patent? What is the timeline? Yes, I I'm sorry. I need to re explain a little so that you know the background. So the unitary patent is based on two European regulations. But the UPC is based on an international treaty. And for this treaty to come into force, the ratification of the UK is mandatory because that's in the agreement. However, this UPC also must be in accordance with European law, according to the Lisbon Treaty. So before we had this UPC agreement, there was another agreement, which was called the European and EU Patent Court. And here this patent court was supposed to also include possibly Switzerland. And Switzerland is not part of the EU, probably never will be. And then the European Court of Justice in 2011 had quite spectacularly declared that this court would violate European law. And from this, many experts, nearly everybody, had concluded that only EU countries may participate in any future court 
also including the unified patent court. So then we had the Brexit referendum, and then um, this was reinvestigated more diligently, and then several experts, including SOM, which previously had declared that only EU countries may join the EPC, now changed their view and said, yes, indeed, also a non-EU country may participate in the EPC, as long as there are some requirements, which I will not explain into detail. It's very complicated. So, but then um, after the Brexit referendum, there was a period of uncertainty. And there, then there were these opinions by some notable experts, uh, like including Winfried Tillmann, and also by um, Gordon and Pascoe, which um, um, had been asked by some UK organization to, to um, file an opinion whether the UK can stay in the UPC system. And they more or less came to the same conclusion. And then um, some weeks ago, the very spectacularly, the UK uh, announced that they actually will ratify the UPC agreement. Um, they have not fully ratified the UPC agreement yet because they need parliament to do so, but they have proceeded on this way by signing the so-called Protocol and Privileges and Immunities of the Unified Patent Court on December 14. So it's can be concluded that they mean it seriously and um, really want to go on. So the final ratification of the UPC by the UK is expected in spring this year, so in a couple of months. But then the UPC cannot come into force because we have another remaining country which is mandatory to ratify, and this is Germany. Um, Germany, however, has already started with the ratification process and they are currently now pursuing it, and it's expected that this ratification will be finished in summer. And once Germany has formally ratified, then, according to the agreement of the UPC, uh, the UPC itself will start four months later. So it can be expected that the UPC starts this winter, so maybe like December this year or January, February next year, which I think would be realistic. So once the UPC becomes operational, then you can also apply for unitary patents. So once we have the UPC, we will have the first unitary patents too. So um, existing patent applications pending before the European Patent Office can be validated as unitary patents from then on. Yes. Right. So um, the, the, the deadline is um, whether the publication of grant is after the UPC uh, becoming operational or not. So, right. so if you now have a pending European patent application, which is not, let's say, like in the final stage of becoming granted, then you can actually expect that maybe in the future you can choose whether you want a unitary patent for that or not. Okay. So do you know whether the court is already recruiting judges? Well, they are not officially recruiting judges. Of course, um, there are like, um, let's say, rumors that there are some discussions already whom to choose, but officially they cannot because um, they don't have the legal basis to do so. So in addition to the UPC agreement, there's another agreement, and this is called the Protocol on Provisional Application of the Unified Patent Court. And this protocol is supposed to come earlier than the UPC agreement, and once this protocol is into force, the court may officially hire judges. So um, 
it is expected that this protocol will actually start in a few months, maybe the spring or the summer, so that then the um, UPC can go on and hire judges. And also then you can opt out and do some other things. So then they also can buy IT stuff. And so really start to prepare themselves so that once the UPC comes into force, it is functional and then already equipped with enough judge. Right. Um, just to let our listeners know, the application phase for being a judge is, has already finished. Um, so the, the applications are there. They just need to select the judges now and hire them, right? Yes. And also um, only... Um, only uh, people which are uh, nationals of a state which has ratified this protocol can officially be hired as judge. But mm-hmm. I mean, these, these, these countries will be the same as the countries which start the UPC in the end. So Right. So uh, what does the Brexit mean for the UK now? Will it be possible for the UK to be part of the UPC system even without being a EU member? And if yes, would that be a role model for other non-EU countries to join the system like Switzerland? Okay. Well, of course, I cannot answer you what the Brexit means for the UK. I'm not a politician. <laughs> and unfortunately, my crystal ball is uh, currently being repaired. So, uh, yeah, recently my son played with this and used it as a football. Um, okay. Well, unfortunately, I even cannot answer you the question whether it will be possible for the UK to be a part of the UPC after it as I left the EU. Um, So all experts, including myself, think that some amendments to the UPC agreement are necessary in order to achieve that. But um, nearly everybody is of the opinion that as long as both sides have goodwill, that should be doable. The really big and open question is whether the European Court of Justice then declares the allowability of this UPC system with a non-EU member, which is the UK, with European law. And here, views are very divided. So there are people who say, no, this is not acceptable. Personally, I would think that the ECJ might allow such a system because the ECJ has been quite generous in the past. So we have had lawsuits before the ECJ about the current UPC system, especially um, filed by Italy and then later Spain. And in all of these especially in, in two lawsuits in um, currently um, filed by Spain, he had um, denied them. So he had says, no, we don't see any, any problem of the UPC agreement structure with European law. So I would expect that maybe the ECJ will pass such a construction. But of course, we have to wait. The problem is, of course, that you cannot ask the ECJ now because the UK is still a part of the EU. So it will take at least another three or four years or maybe even longer until we have certainty about this issue because first the UK must leave the EU and that will not be for 2019 if the UK government files this declaration to exit the EU, which they have said they will file in March. So maybe even that can be longer. And then, of course, after they left the EU, somebody has to bring a case before the ECJ. And then the ECJ needs some time to decide. And I would expect that they surely will take their time because this is a very important decision, not only affecting patent law, but let's say general, the relation between the EU and other countries. So there are more general aspects to it than just the patent side. 
Right. So, but of course, if the ECJ allows the participation of the UK within the UPC, then maybe this could be a way to also include other countries like Switzerland. And then it becomes really interesting. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, at the moment, we have to wait and nobody really can say for sure what's going to be the, the in the end, uh, what the ECJ was. Mm -hmm. Uh, another question came to my mind. Um, if I understand the rules um, correctly, parties can request to have any case transferred to the central division. Um, and you mentioned to me earlier that you think that the central division is not so important and the local divisions are much more important. What, what do you mean? Yes. So according to the agreement, parties may agree to bring actions before any chamber, including the central chamber. Mm -hmm. But I would think that this will almost never be done because... This would mean that before you file an infringement suit, you ask the other party, are you happy that I file this suit, let's say, in Bulgaria? And then they have to agree. I mean, you will probably not do that. Right. There's another situation. So the agreement furthermore allows a transfer to the central division. If you have filed in an infringement suit, the other party files a counterclaim for revocation. And then the local chamber says, look... Um, we want to transfer the whole case to the central divisions. Parties, please agree. So both the two parties and the local chamber must agree. But I would think that this is the absolute exception. There's an article, a really um, good article, also widely quoted by Peter Meyerbeck from uh, German Bundesgerichtshof. And he had said that this situation would be a capitulation of the court, which is a pretty harsh statement, which I think. But um, in, as a result, I would agree. So I would expect that there are almost no infringement suits are held before the central chamber. So mm -hmm. the central chamber is responsible for nullity actions of declarations of non-infringement. But even for declarations of non-infringement, the patent owner can like transfer the case to a local chamber by filing an infringement suit within a three-month deadline. So then only this infringement suit is then pursued and the, um, the case of declaration of non-infringement is halted. So... Mm -hmm. um, To be honest, most people who know a bit about the UPC system were actually pretty surprised about the big sensation or the big fuzz, you can say, that was made about the central chamber and its location. It's a complete myth that the central chamber is important. I mean, much more important are the local chambers because that's the venue where you find in your infringements. I want to, want to stress another thing. It's also a common myth that you must file your chemical and pharma cases in London because the London seat of the central chamber is responsible for these technical fields. But this is completely incorrect. You can pick any local chamber of any country where you have an infringement. If I may add, I would like to add two things, which I consider really important. The first thing is, and this has been widely discussed, is what happens if the UK has to leave with cases pending before the UK local chamber in London? And to be honest, nobody knows that. But here, of course, there's an obvious solution to that. If you want to be on the safe side, don't file your case in London. File it elsewhere. And please allow two sentences of advertisement. So currently, the best and most chosen court for infringement suits in Europe is Düsseldorf, as you can see from the mentioned article of Wolf Klassen and Judge Kuhn. <laughs> so if you have good experience with this court, then simply choose the Düsseldorf local chamber of the UPC for your future cases. Another thing, is what happens with unitary patents when the UK leaves the EU. So if, if there's no agreement, nothing, then unitary patents would simply not cover the UK anymore if the UK leaves the EU. And as you remember, you cannot back that up by doing like a double validation. 
So you have to choose between unitary and UK for the UK. I mean, of course, you would expect that there's some safeguard. So either that the UK or the EU agree that the unitary patents still cover the UK or that the UK government um, like makes passes a law that there's a deadline to convert unitary patents into UK national patents. But at the moment, nobody knows. So if the UK is important to you and the UK is about the top three of validated countries, in Europe, then if you want to err on the side of caution there, avoid the unitary patent unless there's certainty in this regard. Right. Um, so I, if I understand you correctly, the bifurcated system of Germany is now transferred to Europe, basically. No. No? No, actually, the <laughs> bifurcated system is dead. Because <laughs> in, 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 uh, in Germany, if you have an infringement, You cannot file a counterclaim for revocation in the same court. You have to file a nullity action before Bundespatentgericht. But mm -hmm. with the UPC, this is possible. So if you receive an infringement suit, then within your first answer, in your first reply, uh, for which you have three months, then you can file a counterclaim of revocation. And then the local chamber can then decide that they take both cases then they have to apply a technical judge but this is more detail i don't want to go into right. that but but in, in theory in theory the the defendant could file um, the action for revocation at the central division and then it would be bifurcated but who would do that because uh, <laughs> it would be to a disadvantage to the defendant right <laughs> um, this is not possible because if already an infringement suit was filed, then according to the agreement, you have to file the nullity action at the same local chamber. Okay, I understand. You cannot do that. So, um, what are the three most important tips for our listeners? What to do now? Okay. Yes, I've been... You have asked me this question before to think about it, and I think that I would like to say that the following three might be the best way to go. So, the first, what you should do is to slowly begin to make yourself more acquainted with the unitary patent package. Um, I mean, you told me, Rolf, that most of our listeners are US practitioners, so you probably don't want to become an expert on the UPC. Uh, but I think you should make yourself a little aware of that. Um, I should note that many experts, including myself and also the media, um, and including non-European media, um, they think that the UPC may be the coming number one infringement court in the world. So even if you don't file so many European patents, it may still affect you because you or your clients might get sued before this court. So I think you should make yourself a little aware. The second, after you made yourself a view, is to decide whether you want to opt out your European patents or not. As I said, opt out means that you file a declaration that for this patent, um, you still want the national courts as they are now to be competent. So this opt out will be cost-free, if I should note. And after this protocol comes into force, which is in a few months, then um, there will probably be um, on the UPC court website a... a a browser, whatever, where you can simply uh, type in the number of the European patent that you want to opt out. My personal view is that unless you fear that out of the blue, you will receive a nullity action from a competitor, there's no need to file a general opt out. 
Um, instead, you can wait. And then if you want to approach a third party of a patent, then you can decide whether you want to opt out or not. So at the moment, you don't need to take any action. But of course, there are other views. So there are people who say, no, you should generally opt out all your patents because you can opt in again if you want. The third, I would say, is then to decide whether the unitary patent is an option for you, either now or in the future. Um, I would say that if it is ensured that unitary patents still cover the UK, even after a Brexit, or if there's a possibility to convert them into national UK patents, then I'm sure that in many cases, a unitary patent might be attractive for you, especially if more and more countries join the unitary patent package, because then more and more countries will be covered by the unitary patent. Uh, for the time being, I would be a little reluctant, but I would um, advise that you, of course, have an eye on this and see what happens, especially with the UK. Okay. That's uh, very good tips. Thank you very much. Also, I, I learned a lot. Um, Thank you. you have recently written a book, uh, as I mentioned, uh, summarizing the procedure before the UPC and giving some strategic advice. And the book will be also available in English soon, right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to do a little self-advertising. Yes. Um, so uh, my book on the UPC and the European patent just got published in, in German. In Germany, of course, shortly before Christmas. And I must really stress that I must give the publisher a big kudos because instead of halting this project after the Brexit referendum, which some other publishers did, as I heard, they decided just to go on with it. And all they asked me is that um, if I could add a section about the referendum and the impact on the UK patent package. And of course, I did that. So we are now currently in preparation of an English version. Um, which is planned to be published when the UPC actually comes into force. And then, of course, we will um, then take in all updates until then. So if the UPC comes into force, please look out for my book. Right. Um, if our listeners want to reach you, what would, you, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Yes. Um, I'm happy to answer you all of your questions that you may have. And... And I should stress that I don't will not write you an invoice <laughs> unless, uh, I don't know, you have like three, three pages of questions or whatever. So if you have a question, please contact me. I'm very happy to help you. And the best way is simply to write me an email or take a look at, look at our homepage. So our homepage can be found at www.mhpatent.de. It's one word, mhpatent. And my email address is ah at mhpatent.de. And again, I'm happy to answer you all questions that you might have. Well, that was a really nice interview. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Yes, it was uh, a really an honor to give an interview. And I hope uh, this was interesting for you. I hope you are not too shocked about all the complicated uh, juridical terms and, and, and the implications and EU law. And so if, you, if the system really comes into force, I'm sure that it will be much easier to handle and much more understandable as it is it now. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. 
It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com iTunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.